0: turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. That's where we're going to be tonight. Revelation chapter 21. We've been talking about this new heaven and new earth that John saw coming down out of heaven. and. Um, he gives us a beautiful picture of what he sees in this and um and he he describes this city that is four square the city that has um walls that are two hundred and sixteen foot wide, and they are some fifteen hundred miles tall or uh there's some distinction there some some thirteen eighty some somewhere between fourteen hundred and fifteen hundred miles um but that's how long the walls are that's how tall the walls are that's um uh, th- so four square is 1,500 miles on each wall all the way around. Three gates on each side, uh, jewels of all kinds in the gates. And you remember from, I think it was last week where we talked about that we were seeing in chapter 17 the the picture of the the prostitute and the way that she adorned herself with jewels and yet it was gone in uh, in, in just a matter of moments. And then here we see the bride of Christ adorned with this city and with all these jewels that last forever and ever. And so we got to see the difference, the contrast, I guess you could say, between the two. But tonight we get to the part to where he looks inside of the city and he starts showing you what he sees. Up to this point, he's focused on the walls. He's focused on the dimension of it. Um, And so he's focused on the foundations and what you got to see around it. But now we move inside of the city. And so we're going to be in Revelation 21, beginning in verse 22. And I want you to notice it says here, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Alright, so now before we start studying this, I'm going to finish reading in chapter two, or chapter 22 in a minute. But who... Who, is the only, who are the only people that are in this city, according to that verse? Alright, so when we go back and start looking at the nations and the kings that bring their glory into it, what does that tell us about these nations and kings that get to come into it? Their name is in the Lamb's book of life, right? Alright, because again, we just came from uh, the last rebellion that Satan led and he led many kings and many nations into a battle against God and His king. And so basically what we see here is that there were kings and there were nations that actually get to come into this city that apparently their name was in the Lamb's book of life. And so that's going to be important when we look at that. But look at chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruits, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And that word could also be translated, we'll look at it here in a minute, but it's the Greek word uh, and from which we get our word therapeutic. And so what does it mean when something is therapeutic? it's good for you it's it's healthy for you it's healing for for you and so that so i don't want you to think that this is going to mean that there is sickness in this land that's not what he's saying he's going to be he's saying that because they get to eat from the tree that he puts in this garden for them that they continually get they continually gain life they continually gain therapeutic th- th- um healing and things from this tree And so we'll get to that in a minute as well. Verse 3, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and the night will be no more. They will need no light of the lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And so again, I think if it, I, I'm, I'm not going to outline this one the way that I normally would, but I want you to notice that the first part of Revelation 22 or 21 really focused on the outer dimensions of the city and the massiveness of this city, basically. The beauty of this city as far as the walls and the, the streets that were made of gold that was clear as crystal glass. Um, the jewels that were in the walls and in the foundations And so whenever we get to the last part of Revelation 21, I believe the focus changes from the outside to what's inside of the city. And the reason I say that, again, when you go back up to 22, I want you to notice what he says there. And I saw no temple. Where? In the city. In the city. So he turns his focus to what he didn't see in the city. And it's it's very much surprising to John because he is expecting to see a temple in this city. But let me ask you a question. What was the purpose of the temple in the Old Testament? Or what is the purpose of the temple during the tribulation period? What is the purpose of the temple? Why did we need a temple? Okay, okay. So if we wanted to, to be in the presence of God, then God said that's where He would meet them at, right? All right. Somebody else tell me. So what else took place inside of that temple? Okay. So what were sacrifices for? Okay. So let's just take those first two for just a minute. So the first reason, he said, is that it was the place where God's presence dwelt. So that let us know that God's presence, as far as it being everywhere, but we were not able to be in that presence, correct? So there was a separation. And how was it separated in the temple? The veil. Behind the veil is the Holy of Holies. In front of the veil, you had the priestly area to where the priests did all of their work. Behind the priestly area, you had the Jewish place where only the Jewish males could come to be able to bring their sacrifices in for the priests to do their work. Behind that, you had the Gentile court. And the Gentiles couldn't go any further in, but they could go into that part of it. So, one of the things that the temple always showed us was that there was always been a great separation. First off, between God and men. Even His chosen people, even the Jews, couldn't go behind the veil where where His presence dwelt, where He said He rested over the mercy seat. Right? And so... One of the reasons why, or you tell me, why is there no temple in the new city? There is no separation. Yes, Jesus tore the veil whenever He paid the price, right? But even still, even though we have the Holy Spirit with us, are we dwelling in the presence of God the way that is described in this new city? That's exactly right. And so what we see in this is that there's no need for a temple in that regard because there is God, notice what it said again. Go back with me to um, 21 verse...
1: Let me see where it's at. Go back with me to 21 verse 3.
0: And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God and He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. And so anyway, again, what we see here is that there is absolutely no separation whatsoever between God and His full presence, His full glory and man. There is no separation whatsoever. So that was the first reason why there's no temple. Because, And not only that, but there's no separation between man and man. There's no separation between Jew and Gentile or between man and and woman as it was, because again, only Jewish males could go into a certain part of the temple. Um, Only certain priests could go into certain parts of the temple. And so all throughout the temple, one of the things it showed us is that there exists a great separation between God and His people, between God and those who are not His people, Gentiles. there, There is a great separation between man and other men between men and women, and yet here in this time, we have no separation whatsoever. And as a result of that, there is no temple in this city. All right, what else did we say? What's another reason? What is? What else did we do in the temple? Huh? Atonement of sin. so sacrifices were made at the temple or in the temple, and they were brought in, and the blood was sprinkled upon the mercy seat to to ask God for His mercy. Do we need that anymore at this time? No. Why not? Because notice what he said in verse 27
1: of chapter 21.
0: But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And that atonement has already been made. And so there is no reason for atonement any longer because that atonement is sufficient and covers it all. There is no separation between God and man anymore, between uh, priest and man. We are all priests unto God. And so there is no need for a temple. He is ever-present no matter where you go in this new Jerusalem or in the new creation. No matter where you go, God is always dwelling with you in fullness. I I, I don't even I, I can't even begin to know how to teach this and how to explain it to you, but I can at least go back to the example that we had in the garden of Eden. And you remember before the fall of man the Bible tells us that God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. Literally, he was with them. And so What we see in this is that in some way we understand and see fully and experience the presence of God in a way like we have never been able to experience it because right now there is still some degree, even as a Christian, there is still a degree of separation in some way. It's just like Moses because Moses was a man of faith just like you and I. Saved by faith the same way that you and I are saved by faith. And yet, when he asked to see God in His glory, in His presence, remember what God told him? You can't take it. So again, even though he was saved, even though he had um, a relationship with God, a friendship with God, um, it was still nothing to the degree. Matter of fact, just his hind parts is what God said He showed Moses. Just the hind parts made Moses light up in such a way that he had to hide the the radiance from the rest of his people. And so we see that even in the most, because I don't know of anybody that has experienced a relationship with God quite the way people like Moses and some of those did. Face-to-face relationships, talking with God, hearing from God, mediators between God and man. And yet We look at this situation and we say, you know, we cannot understand what it is going to be like even in the smallest degree to be in the full presence of God where there is no temple needed. There is no temple anymore. And that's important because go back with me to Revelation chapter 11 and look at verse 19 for just a moment.
1: That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So again, if sacrifice is not made, sacrifices were made in this temple, but if sacrifice is not made that's acceptable for sin, what happens to the sinner? Judgment is poured out on them, right? Wrath is poured out on them. And that's what we see happening here in Revelation chapter 11, verse 19. It says, Then God's temple in heaven was opened, so there was a temple in heaven, right? So before the eternal state takes place, there was a temple. Because again, there was still wrath to come. There was still judgment to come. There was still a, a payment that had to be made for wrongdoing, for sin against God. And he says in verse 19 there, Then God's temple in heaven was open, and the ark of His covenant was seen within His temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and earthquake, and heavy hail. So, again, the point that I'm making is this all up until this point, until the point to where all of God's wrath has been poured out, the sacrifice has been fully accepted for all of these that are coming in by the Lamb's Book of Life. And so, whenever we look at this situation, you had a temple before. That took place. Now that all of that has took place, there is no temple needed. There is no reason whatsoever for a temple. And you say, "Well, they came to the temple to worship too. But here you see that they are worshiping God without having to go to a particular place, because where is God in this place? He's everywhere. That's exactly right, and that's what it says next. Keep reading with me in verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city. Why? For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. That is the temple. You live in their presence. You. Um, I think uh, it was Paul that said in Acts chapter 17 that it is in Him we live and move and have our being. And so in, in some sense... The same way here, there is no temple because God, the Lord God, and Jesus Christ, the Lamb, they are the temple. And we dwell and we live and we move and we exist in His presence everywhere that we go. And again, this is not something that I I can teach you tonight because the truth of the matter is, I don't get it. (laughs) I don't, I don't know how this is gonna be. I don't know. All I can tell you is that the Bible gives me just a glimpse of it, just so that I can understand. The way that it's going to be then is nothing like it is now. And that's where he gets to here in a minute. Right now we have detestable and unclean and we need sacrifice and we still experience or sinners still experience wrath. We still experience discipline and judgment in some ways. But in this time, none of that takes place anymore. And so then in verse 23 he says and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the lamb. And you remember a few weeks ago we were talking about how every time God always uh revealed himself and manifested himself to people or especially when that he displayed his glory it was usually revealed in light. It was a magnificent light. And so In this city, in this temple, we don't need the sun. There's not going to be a moon because there's not going to be any night. Uh, We're not going to need to sleep because we are entering into God's rest. And so ultimately, we are always rested. We are never out of rest. We are always in rest. And that's something that I think that some of y'all can appreciate. I know I can appreciate that. (coughs) But... um, He is—he is everything we need. That—that that the sun would provide. That—that uh, that, any—that everything in creation would provide. He is the source of all life. Yeah. Where now, we—he demonstrates his glory by giving us the sun as a source of life, water as a source of life, plants, food, animals, all of this. And so, in this day and time we get to enjoy some of those things, but He is the, the essence of all of our life. All right? And you know, you caught a glimpse, just very small glimpses of some of this. Like for instance, you remember the, the Mount of Transfiguration whenever uh, Jesus brought Peter, James, and John up to the mountain and um, and He was transfigured into His original glory for just a moment in front of them. And... And Peter saw something that was so magnificent that he said, Lord, (laughs) yeah, we're not going back down there. Let us build a temple here for you, a temple for Moses, a temple for Elijah. Let's just stay right here and let's just live here forever and ever. And I mean, and then not only that, but you saw, again, I've said it many times, but when Jesus was here, um, anybody that had a need, if they were hungry, even if there wasn't food, what did Jesus do? He made food. <laughs> he took and made food out of nothing. Um if there was no water, he would say, "I got water that is that you'll never thirst again." If there was um if there was um sickness, it was gone. If there was turmoil and weather, he said, "Peace be still." And so ultimately, you caught little glimpses of what it would be like to be in the presence of God all the time, you would get to experience a glory that you wouldn't ever want to come back to anything here. You would rather build a temple there and just stay there for all eternity. Um, if, there, if there it was anything that could go wrong, you're in front of the man that, that all he does is speak a word and it is done that fast to the point that the disciples looked and said, who in the world is this that even the winds and the waves just obey him? I mean, can you imagine being in the middle of hurricane, whatever, what was that one that just came through, Ian? Can you imagine being in the middle of hurricane, Ian, and Jesus steps up and says, and immediately everything just dies down and the sun pops out and it's perfect? Well, I I have no clue what I would do. I'm I'm just saying that we have caught glimpses. I mean very small glimpses. Just in the life of Christ, of what he's talking about, that we will experience here. All right, and then when you go down to verse 24, notice he says, And by its light, what is its? What does he mean, its light? What's he talking about? The city. The city. That's right. Notice what he said in verse 23. And what has no need of the sun or the moon? The city Because by its light, and what was the light of the city? God's glory, the Lamb's glory, all right? So by its glory, so we're talking about the city and what's inside the city. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Now, this, um, again, I want you to understand that this is not talking about. Rebellious kings, rebellious nations. This is not, these are people that are in the Lamb's Book of Life. But in some way or another, they are kings and nations that get to bring their glory into this city. And so there are several possible interpretations of this. One of them could be in, uh, if you'll look at Luke chapter 19, to see who these kings and who these people
1: may be. Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 11.
0: We always try to let Scripture interpret Scripture, right? And so you can't go wrong if you try to find Scripture to back up what you're actually talking about. So let's see if this could be a possible interpretation. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem. And because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So why is he fixing to tell this parable? Because they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately, right? And so because of that, he's going to tell a parable about the kingdom of God. So when we tell this parable, this is what he's talking about. So now go with me to verse 12. He said, therefore that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you do not, what you did not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. So why then did you not put my money in the bank And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. And I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Again, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. And he's talking about him coming and, and build, getting the kingdom ready. He's not going to receive it yet, but he's getting it ready and he's giving servants of his gifts and abilities to be out, to go out and, and make more for this kingdom. And so the ones that actually take what he's given them and they make more, what did he do to them? How did he how did he reward them? Gave them reward, but what specifically did he do? Made them rulers. Set them over the same thing he told us in revelations, I will make you kings and priests unto me. And so you will reign with me on thrones with me. And so it is possible, I believe, that these kings that get to bring their glory into the kingdom is possibly just the people that God has rewarded as being as being in authority over cities in the new heaven and the new earth. Again, possibly I don't know that that's who it is. That's just one possible interpretation. Another possible interpretation is it may actually be kings, kings that were in the uh, millennial reign that were over kingdoms that did not participate in the rebellion against the Christ, and now all of a sudden. These kings come in in their glory and they take their crowns and their glory and what do they do with it? They lay them at the feet of Jesus. They bring their glory into the city. So that's another possible interpretation is that these are actual kings that are coming in from the millennial reign um, after that last rebellion is done. That's possible. Another possibility is um, maybe it's the... um, Well, I've already told you that one from Revelation chapter 1 verse 6. You could go there. But it basically talks about Him telling us that the believers, He's going to make kings and priests unto Him. So again, those are a a couple of different possibilities of of who this might be. And then, of course, the nations. Because it makes a distinction between... um, Where am I at here? Verse, Verse 24. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. So because... It makes a distinction between nations and kings. I don't believe this is just talking about the people of God coming in that He has set in authority. I think more than likely this is probably true kings of the world that didn't participate in the rebellion that now, and then also the nations that were in the Lamb's book of life that didn't participate in the rebellion that now get to come in but yet, even still, they hand over all their glory to this city. It's because all the glory belongs to God. And so I believe that's what we're seeing in verse 24. But then it says next in verse 25 and its gates, and again, what are we talking about when it says its? Still talking about the city, right? So we were talking about the, the light of the city, we were talking about no temple being in the city, we were talking about the people that bring their glory into the city. And now we're talking about the gates of the city. And notice it says the gates of the city will never be shut by day. So does that mean that they're going to be shut at night? (laughs) Good catch. Keep reading with me. And there will be no night there. So what does that tell you about the city's gates? They're always open. And that kind of says to me, that this is going to be a city. I believe that what we're looking at here is what Jesus was talking about when He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you into Myself so that where I am, there you may also be. And then He told him, He said, In My Father's house are many rooms. Now, I know some people translate that or some... Versions translate that many mansions. I don't think that's a good interpretation because that's not what he's saying. Um, He's saying in my Father's house are many rooms. So I think what we're looking at here is the Father's house because this is where He dwells. He's everywhere in here, right? And I believe that what we're looking at is the city to where we all have rooms in this place and every one of us have a, a place here to live here, to dwell with God and this is where our dwelling is. But I wonder if the reason why the gates are always open is because not only do we get to inherit this new city, but you remember when John first started out in Revelation 21? It wasn't just the new Jerusalem that he saw. Go back with me to Revelation 21 verse 1. Notice what he says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And then look at verse 2. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down. And so I wonder here if what we're looking at is a new heaven, a new earth, and yet a new Jerusalem in this new earth that God dwells, and He's going to dwell everywhere. We know that. But God dwells in the city, and we get to dwell with Him in the city. We get to walk with Him. We get to walk by His light. We get to share in His glory, get to experience His glory. And then at the same time, the gates are always open because we didn't just get a new Jerusalem. We also got a whole new earth. I mean, can you imagine the Grand Canyons that we're going to get to experience? Can you imagine the the mountain ranges that we'll get to fly over probably? Because think about it. The Bible tells us that we're going to have a body like Jesus had, right? What was Jesus able to do with His new body? What's that? Ascend and descend. What else was He able to do with His new body? Whenever the disciples were behind locked doors, He went from from one place to the other in a thought. In a thought, He moved from one place to the other. And yet at the same time, He got to sit down and enjoy food with them. He ate with them, he drank with them, he um and so you know we get to experience bodies so that not only do we get to experience God's presence in the new Jerusalem, but we also get to disp- we also get to experience an uncursed display of his glory in a new heaven and a new earth. It is crazy. That's exactly right. It's it's unimaginable. You you can't comprehend it because all we know is the curse. And again, I think that's the whole point that John is trying to get across here is that there is going to be none of that anymore. So you get to experience the presence of God in a way that you can't even imagine it. You get to experience a new heaven. And again, he's not talking about heaven as in just the place that God dwells because that's where all this came out of, all right? So he's talking about a new, I believe, a new universe because the Jews understood that when the Bible talked about the heavens, it was talking about the first heavens being being the place where the birds fly, the second heavens being the place where the stars dwell, and the third heaven, the place where Paul said, I was caught up to the third heaven, that is the place where God dwells. And so we get new heavens, if you will. So we're going to have new sky, new universe, new stars, and so we won't need a rocket ship to take us to Mars, to the new Mars, if you will. I mean, as we said a minute ago, if I'm interpreting this correctly, it is likely that when we have a body like Jesus's, you will think about being at another place, and guess what? In an instant, you will be there. So, and I could, again... I could be way off. So please don't hear me teaching some doctrine about this is the way that it's going to be. But again, I don't think that I'm too far off whenever I read this and and we interpret it the way that we are. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. And you know... Um, that's what's beautiful about this is we never leave His presence. We get to literally dwell with Him and walk with Him in the new Jerusalem and at the same time we get to experience all of His presence and the display of His glory in an uncursed manner in the new heaven, and the new earth. And so um, I hope I'm interpreting that correctly. I believe that's the way that it, it should be interpreted. <clears throat> but then notice what He says next in... Um, well, I've got to get back to 22. All right, 21. In verse um, 25, it says, Its gates will never be shut by the day, and there will be no night there. And there, I think we get a picture of eternal rest because God talked about um, that one day we will get to enter His rest. That for six days He worked and created, and on the seventh day He entered into a rest and He enjoyed His creation. And so I believe in the same way, when we enter into His rest, It's just a time where we get to just always eternally enjoy everything that He has made and most importantly, to enjoy God Himself. And then in verse 26, they will bring into it, and who is they? The people, the kings, the nations who are walking by its light and who are bringing their glory into it. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. And then verse 27, But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And I think that's a very important distinction that we understand that when he says they, the nations, because there are some people that interpret this to still be the talking about the millennial. Um, and there's no way that this could be talking about that because he says very plainly, uh, nothing unclean will ever enter into this into this kingdom, into this city of God. Only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. <clears throat> Do I have time to keep going? Let's stop there. Um, we will pick up in chapter 22 of verses one through five. I tell you, it's funny how my mind works because I come in here tonight thinking, we're actually gonna finish Revelation tonight. <clears throat> I really did. I thought that. Uh we didn't we didn't get to, but um, we are we're very close. And so next week we'll come in and we'll take at least the first five verses of Revelation twenty two. And um, and if the Lord wills, we may just go ahead and go through the end of it, um, and 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 wrap it up. And we've been in it for a long time, but and I, I'm actually thankful that we went through it. I didn't really want to, because there are so many different ways to interpret this. But you know, the Bible tells us to make sure that we are faithful to the whole counsel of God's word. And so I'm thankful that we took the time to go through it and do our due diligence to study it. Uh, just don't forget this: if if we disagree with people on this, it's okay. This is not heels we have to dial. Okay. Um, you know, again, there are there are doctrines and there are truths that that we have to die on those hills. We have to. These are not one of them. You know, these are things that just fill us with hope because here's the thing about it, no matter how we disagree, can't we all agree that this is going to be something like we can't even imagine? And and the only ones that are gonna be there are the ones that are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so we'll go through it. We get the encouragement we can out of it and get the lessons we need to out of it. But at the end of the day, if uh, you and another brother or sister at your workplace disagrees on, on this, um, so be it. So be it. Um, it, it is not something that, uh, that really matters if we come together on in this regard.